Hello and welcome to Reactives Beyond the Byline podcast. I am Evie Chiori and this week our podcast is focusing on Europe's inflation, the reasons behind it, can the European Central Bank ensure price stability and can it keep inflation under control. We are also talking about the EU-African Union Summit in Brussels. After two years of delays due to the COVID-19 pandemic, the competition over influence on the African continent remains strong, with the EU now proposing new investments for a prosperous and sustainable partnership. Now, the EU is facing inflation with prices on basic needs such as gas, energy and products uh, at the supermarkets being increased. To hear more on how can the European Central Bank ensure price stability, I spoke with Euractiv's Jobs and Economy Editor, Janos Aman. Janos, welcome to the Beyond the Byline podcast. And I remember you referring to a rise in prices in the supermarkets and It's not a secret that the EU is facing inflation. Uh, why is this happening? So indeed, the EU is uh, facing inflation. And mainly, this is a story of gas prices in the EU. Um, so Russia is only delivering the bare minimum um, of gas into the EU. And many EU countries are dependent on Russian gas. Um, this is coupled with uh, uh, already low reserves, uh, gas reserves in, in the EU, um, driving the price of gas up. And this drives the price uh, prices of all energy up. So we have right now, um, January, year on year, 29% uh, increase in, in energy prices. Um, and then there's also supply chain issues due to the pandemic. Um, lots of uh, factories and supply chains were shut down for a while. Uh, but actually demand uh, was relatively stable or picked up quickly because people actually kept their jobs or would were financially supported. So they still wanted to buy stuff, um, but factories were shut down. And this led to a lot of difficulties and costs in the supply chain. And can you give us some examples of the products uh, whose prices have been going up? As I said, gas prices are going up. and. Also, food prices in the EU are going up, and this is especially um, difficult for people with low budgets because the food prices make uh, the food is just a bigger part of the budget. Um, and this has a number of factors. For example, there is a swine fever that makes uh, pigs uh, more expensive. There is a labor shortage also um, due to the pandemic because. Uh, You couldn't really work uh, sometimes. Um, and then there's also the gas prices. They are used to first ship the products, also food products, but they are also used to to um, produce fertilizers, which are used to grow food. So if gas prices go up, food prices will go up as well. Well, truth be told, uh, it's the job of the European Central Bank uh, to ensure price stability and keep inflation in check. Is it failing at its job? Now, that there is indeed a lot of criticism that the ECB, the European Central Bank, is failing at its job because its primary mandate is to keep uh, prices in check. However, um, the ECB has no power over, over Putin and how, how much gas he, he uh, brings into, into Europe. He, uh, the ECB has no power over supply chains. 
Um, so this is something that the ECB cannot really uh, do much about. But it can communicate, of course. It can always, it has to communicate that it will uh, keep inflation in check if it, it, if it is a, a demand-driven inflation, meaning that there is so much demand uh, that, that prices go completely out of control and it is not related to any supply chain-related uh, issues anymore, then it has to step in. But right now, there is not much more than, uh, that it can do rather than communicate. And is there a plan to set a limit to the rise of prices and to overcome this problem? It is a difficult problem um, because most of it in the EU is, is really an energy price problem. Um, there are different plans. For example, um, there is the, the EU is looking for different sources of gas to, to uh, for example, this uh, LNG um, gas that comes from, from the US, for example. Um, then there is long-term strategies, for example, to uh, look for alternative energy sources. Um, what the ECB, also the EU Commission, thinks that the supply chain issues, they will, they will ease themselves out as we go out of the pandemic, so uh, companies will adapt. I mean, we can wait until the end of the pandemic, but we don't really know when the end of the pandemic will be. So doesn't this cause uh, instability? Yes, uh, it is an unsecure moment in the, in the economy. Uh, we, we still don't know exactly how, how the pandemic will end, so we don't know exactly how uh, things will react. There are some um, calls for also price controls to have for certain really important products uh, to, to just keep them in check, to mandate them uh, by law, to keep them low. Because there is an issue that some companies seem to have actually increased their margins. So they are actually profiting from the price increases. So there, there might be an argument for that. But in the long term, higher prices will attract more companies to, to produce these products, which in the long term will then uh, decrease uh, the, the prices. Thank you, Janos, for being with me today. And where can our listeners find out more about this? You should subscribe to The Economy Brief that will bring you all of these kinds of uh, information weekly. You're listening to Euractiv's Beyond the Byline podcast. Subscribe to our podcast newsletter on euractiv.com slash newsletters. And if you want to expand your knowledge on other fields, you can listen to our Digital Brief podcast and AgriFood Brief podcast. And moving on another topic, the interest of the EU and China in Africa remains strong and the European Union is putting on the table investments on energy, digital and education. To break down for us the details of the EU-Africa partnership, I was joined by Euractiv's Benjamin Fox. Welcome, Ben. Thank you. Lovely to speak. The EU-African Union Summit is finally happening in Brussels. Uh, why is this summit important? Um, well, it's important because um, the EU... Uh, both the uh, Juncker Commission and the von der Leyen Commission have identified a partnership of equals and a strategic partnership with Africa uh, two years after the Commission published its uh, blueprint on what this strategic partnership should look like. Uh, we finally have the set-piece summit. French President Emmanuel Macron 
and the European Council chief, um, Charles Michel, have done most of the diplomatic heavy lifting um, in advance of this summit. And this is a very important event, particularly for Macron. The Sahel region obviously is primarily uh, Francophone countries um, where France has a long-standing kind of uh, geopolitical involvement. It is important for him that he is able to take something away from this summit. On the other side of the diplomatic coin, we don't yet know how many African leaders will show up for this summit. Uh, EU officials said that um, they had earlier today that they had 40 African leaders confirmed as attending. But the question mark is, will they include leaders from the big African states, South Africa, Nigeria, Kenya, Morocco, Egypt? Um, If those countries' leaders don't show, then the credibility of the summit will be much lower than uh, than it otherwise might have been. And what is the purpose of this partnership? The EU has been quite, and rightly so, slightly nervous and anxious about the rise of Chinese influence on the African continent, and they're very aware that there is kind of a new scramble for Africa uh, in terms of influence and economic investment and development investment uh, from the likes of the United States, the UK, Turkey, uh, Japan. And the EU wants to to be the most influential player on the African continent. And that is, that's the hard geopolitics uh, behind a strategic partnership, they call it. What are the proposals set on the table? And uh, how are they planning to achieve them? So there are kind of a few different strands. On the economic strand, we're going to see um, a couple of investment packages, primarily through the global the EU's Global Gateway program. Um, the Commission's announced that it will that Africa will get 170 billion euros under the Global Gateway. The other big economics and investments part of the of the summit is how much of the special drawing rights allocated by the International Monetary Fund last year, how much of those SDRs will be reallocated to African states by EU countries. That's an open point. We don't know what the final figure is going to be agreed at the summit. Migration also is going to be a a tricky point. As always, the question will be whether there is a new agreement on uh, making it easier for African students and key workers to be able to uh, work, train and study in Europe in exchange for African states doing more to readmit um, failed asylum seekers and economic migrants. Uh, security is the other big big theme. The uh, EU really wants to be able to offer defence and uh, security cooperation with African states. Then on the vaccine side, obviously there's been real anger from African leaders at the sense that the EU has been and other Western states have been hoarding coronavirus vaccines. Uh, The big demand from Africa is for a waiver on intellectual property of these vaccines so that they could produce their own versions. Again, there's tension between Africa and the EU on this matter. I don't know. We don't quite know what a compromise, if there is a compromise, is going to look like on this.
Is the EU planning to donate some of the vaccines or what are exactly the African countries expecting in this case? They're separate points. I mean, donation of vaccines is a separate point from being able to develop your own vaccines. Um, One of the things that the EU says is that it's donated more vaccines than anyone else, and that is true. But that's not really what African states are asking for. Uh, Their big demand is that they want to be able to have their own pharmaceutical sectors, they want to be able to produce their own version of COVID and other vaccinations um, so that they can be self-sufficient. And which are the obstacles to this partnership? I'm not sure necessarily obstacles. I think there are there are tensions in this relationship that we may well see African leaders vocalise more this time than they have done in the past. There is a lot of anger about the Europe's handling of the pandemic, particularly the travel bans that were imposed on African states, as well as the the issues around uh, vaccinations and access to vaccinations, as I've mentioned. Um, There's that. There's also a bit of frustration that the EU talks a good game, but when it comes to um, being able to get, you know, the actual getting hold of money for infrastructure projects, it's much easier for African states to turn to China. The EU is, is obviously the senior partner. I mean, we have the European Union and the African Union officially attending this meeting, but the African Union does not have the political power or the resources that the European Commission does. For all the talk of a partnership of equals, it isn't. And it's unlikely that just because people say it is so, that partnership will be equal. Well, thank you, Ben. And our time is up for this week. I am Evikiori, and this was your Actives Beyond the Byline podcast. We will be back on your feed next week. Until then, subscribe to our podcast newsletter and visit youractive.com for the latest news. And don't forget to listen to this podcast on your favorite podcast app. Thank you very much for listening. <laughs>